Good morning, everyone. Um, for some of us who are thinking, how can we just show that intro? Well, that will become clear in a moment. Uh, as what I want us to see today is actually this today isn't going to be uh, disconnected with where we've been as a church looking at this whole series called Fruit That Lasts, which we'll get to in a moment. So if we can park that in our thinking for a moment. Rather, I want to just quickly talk to us about, the, about London. Uh, London is one of my favorite places to go and visit. I love going there. We as a family love going there as a kind of a holiday destination. I know for others, you like the countryside. We like cities and cities that are bigger than Birmingham. The only one in this country, whatever other people up north think, uh, that's bigger than this city is London. And so we love going there. One of the places that I've realized that my kids especially love going to in London is the underground. To be honest, I remember taking them on the underground for the first time, and they genuinely would have spent the whole day just traveling the underground and walking the passages and going up the escalators and running downstairs and stuff like that. But in it, there's something I want us to learn about the London Underground that I'm hoping will become something that will stick in our minds as we think through where we've been in the series that we've been in in Fruit That Lasts. And that's the whole aspect I've not mined the gap. I don't know if you've been on an underground train where every kind of platform the train gets to, there's then this proclamation, mind the gap, uh, knowing that there's an enormous hole there that if you don't watch out, you're going to fall down. And so saying mind the gap is going to ensure they're never going to be liable to you falling down the hole. And so I don't know if anyone's ever fallen down. I've once, uh, but there we go. Um, in it, though, what I want us to more talk about is how we get to the tube trains. You see, one of the... Uh, lies of London is that actually taking the tube is quicker. Uh, because actually, once you get into those passages, the whole goal is to get you off the street for as long as possible. And so actually, the distance you're probably going to travel on your tube train is probably a distance you'd normally walk in any other location. But because you're in London, you think, I can't possibly do it, therefore I'll get on a tube and it will take me quicker. And then you spend as long walking to the tube and then getting the tube afterwards as it would have been just to have walked and it been far more pleasant. And so for some of you, when you go to London next, don't take the tube, take your feet to somewhere. But one of the things that happens is as you're trying to find the tube is you have different options. You have the option of the escalator or you have the option of the stairs. Anyone who takes the tube regularly knows that you don't go on the stairs because there's just a lot of stairs. And they feel fun at the beginning, but after a while, they become very wearing and tiring. Now, if you go to London with small children, they don't realize this. They just think, man, that's a lot of stairs, and they've got to be conquered. And so they really, really want to do the stairs. And the thing is, the stairs get you to the exact same location, but you turn up far more weary and far more smelly. And to be honest, I've done it a few times, and to be honest, it's not getting down that's the problem, it's generally getting up. Because you start off and you think, oh, it's only this set. It's only this escalator and this set of stairs. And so you start off, and you know, someone of my physique, you know, and the fitness level I've got, I, I'm kind of powering up the first set. You know, I'm leaving people behind on the escalator. I'm thinking, you know that you wish you'd been with me up the stairs, and I'm powering up. And then you get to the top, and then you realize that actually there's another three to go. And you realize after the second that actually you, you're not going to manage the top set of stairs. And if we're not careful, what I want us to see, and this is our pause moment, that we can start to see this fruit that lasts series as a danger of us being pushed into like a tube mentality of are we going to take the stairs or are we going to take the escalator? <coughs> see, what we've been looking at in this 
Fruit That Last series is this whole element of our faith and trust in Jesus uh, producing us this brand new way of living, a brand new way of living that's going to cause our life to be characterized totally differently, characterized in a way that, that's not by our means, but rather is by God working within us. And so we've been looking over the past uh, few months of just looking at how our life is to be characterized. What are the kind of fruits that we're to reveal in and through our life that both do us good, but do good to others through us living them out? And so what we've been doing is basing ourselves in Galatians 5, verses 22 to 23, looking at what these characteristics of our life and men are look like. And so week on week, we've been looking at these verses, which says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. See, why I'm kind of hitting the pause button this morning is I don't want us to fall into a danger. A danger of actually getting to the end of a, a magnificent series, looking at these different attributes, these different characteristics, these different fruits that are meant to reveal it themselves in our life, and actually look at the list and say, oh yeah, it's not just one that I'm going to be looking to reveal through my life, my trust and faith in Jesus, life, death, and resurrection. It's, it's actually looking and saying, I want a life that reveals all of these that we begin to see it a bit like a tube journey. We say, that's the destination. That's what we want my life to look like. And therefore, we get to a point of saying, well, well how am I going to get there? Am I going to take the escalator or am I going to take the stairs? And my greatest concern is that we begin to live with a stair mentality. Where actually we see these amazing fruits of our life that our life's going to reveal. And we start to think, well, man, I've just got to work hard to do this. I've got to use as much effort as I can possibly to live a life that starts to reveal this to others. And so daily it becomes this chore of saying, oh yeah, I'm going to be more loving, kind of taking the steps up. I'm going to seek to be more gentle. I'm going to seek to live with more self-control of understanding my appetites are always satisfied in Jesus. That, that as we live in this, that we just keep thinking, man, it's, it's stairs that I've got to climb. And today, I guess I want to just hit the pause button and say, let's remember that these characteristics, these fruits, is never about an invitation to a stairway of living. It's never about our effort. It's not something that we can generate within ourselves, but rather they're fruits of someone, and that's the Spirit. And if you feel like we've got to pause for a moment and remind ourselves that as we seek to live out of this place, as we seek to live in the benefit of all we've been examining and looking at over the past three months of the kind of lives that we want to live within the world that do us good and do others good, that we understand that the key to living that way is it's not down to us. And at this point, for some of you, you're thinking, man, this isn't rocket science. We kind of understand this, but I, I want us to hopefully humor me a little this morning. Just because I, I kind of recognize that for each of us, there will be a danger, though. That even in our understanding, that we, we kind of somehow live differently. And before long, we find that this becomes a chore, a staircase to climb, rather than a totally different way to live. See, the key to it is this, is that these are fruits of the Spirit. That they're actually the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, wanting to work within us wanting to evidence within us in order that we'd understand what all of these fruits look like within our lives, wanting us to experience them. Want us then to equip and lead and empower us to live out these fruits. 
I said this morning, we're going to do things slightly differently, and we're not going to see me speak for a long time, I'm hoping, but for a shorter time, in order that we can get to a point of saying, actually, we don't want to live on staircases. We want to take the escalator. We want to be those who continuously live knowing that this isn't of our manufacturing. It's always about allowing the Holy Spirit to come and work within us. So where do we start? I'd say let's start at the evidence of the Spirit. See, for anyone who's put their trust, their faith in Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, the Spirit is already at work in you. And the Holy Spirit, we can sometimes think, well, kind of feels a bit harder to kind of define what the Holy Spirit is. And so as followers of Jesus, we can think, well, actually, it's easy. I can, I can kind of understand Jesus. And Jesus, I can see, lived and, and died and rose again. And that feels easier to talk about. I then can understand that God is, is spoken of as three, that, that you have God as a father. I can picture what God as a father could be. Even if my own earthly father, this isn't me personally speaking, it's my dad's in the room, and I'd hate for him ever to think this of him, um, that even if the, my own earthly father isn't quite what he should have been, actually I can understand that God who is perfect as a father, who reveals what a father should always be, I can understand something of what that is, as God as a father, but, but God as Holy Spirit. At that point, it, it starts to feel a little bit cookie. It starts to feel a bit out there and something that actually maybe I, I could kind of say, yeah, I know that God is Holy Spirit, but I, I don't want to dwell on it too much because it will make me look slightly nuts to other people. But actually, we need to understand that God is revealed from the beginning to the end as Father, Son, and Spirit. See, in the very beginning, the book of Genesis, where you find that God is speaking as Father, that the Word is spoken as Jesus, and the Spirit is there hovering over the planet. See, God is always this perfect community. Father, Son, and Spirit isn't three different gods. It's one who are living in complete unity, who are one and are one in love, a loving community that they're wanting to therefore reveal to everyone. And the Holy Spirit is therefore acting on God's behalf as the Father, Son, and Spirit together saying, I want to work within every individual in order they know and experience the love that we know and experience. And so the Holy Spirit is wanting to come and evidence within each of us everything that we're to bear fruit of. So not surprisingly, what does the evidence of the Holy Spirit look like in someone's life who's put their trust and faith in Jesus? Well, it looks like this. It looks like that the Holy Spirit is seeking to do what we've read in Galatians 5 week on week out in everyone's life. The evidence of the Spirit is that he's seeking to cause us to experience and understand that we're loved. If you're making notes at this point in time, these aren't going to appear on the PowerPoint slides. I don't, I don't really like doing that, of having lots of notes, because what you do is you read PowerPoint slides rather than listen to me. Whereas, what, if you've not worked that one out, you will over time. You know, I just have one word. I, I'm a simple guy. That just allows you to keep thinking about, oh, evidence, why is he talking about? Just keeps you on me. But if you're making notes, well, here's one. That we find that the Spirit is working within us to reveal God's love. Romans 8, 15, that the Spirit is working within us in order that we be able to cry out to God as Abba, Father. That we know, uh, know God as, as a Father to us, that we've, through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, have been made not just people on the edge, but part of God's family. The Spirit is working within us in order that we would not only know that in our heads, but experience it. That He's working within us to cause us to experience fullness of joy, Romans 14, 17. 
the Spirit working within us in order that we'd be filled with joy in who God is, in order that we'd always be those that whenever we come together, we'd be able to celebrate in the wonder of who God is and praise Him. And didn't you see it at the beginning of this morning? Maybe you've come in and you've, you've never been around kind of a church setting. This isn't manufactured. It isn't like, hey man, let's get Sunday game face on. You know, whatever's happened in the week, let's get in there and just, we better look happy. Come on, there's, there's no drums, but we'll kind of clap because it'll make it feel noisy. But there is a drum. Where is it? It's magic. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you thought that. I, I thought that at one point. I thought, man, there's a drum, but no drummer. And then it worked out it was Alex's foot. And I th- obviously not his foot doing a drum. It was playing a drum. Um, there's, but in it, there's this moment that when we get together, it isn't that we're manufacturing something. Rather, it's just the spirit within us saying, actually, we're, we're full of joy, not because of circumstances in life, but because of who God is, because spirit is working within us. We find the spirit is producing us the free fruit of peace, Not any old peace, but peace that we're told in Philippians 4, 7 transcends understanding. Man, that's a peace to know, isn't it? When people spend their whole lives touring this planet of place to place to place, of regime to regime to regime, of trying to find that sense of inner peace. And God promises and says, well, I'm going to send you my spirit in you. In order you'd know peace that transcends all understanding. goes beyond anything you could ever imagined. Spirit is evidenced within us by what, being one who is our comforter, our counselor. It says in John 14, 16, Jesus, we're going to look at this passage in a bit, that when Jesus kind of refers to the Spirit coming, he says, who's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's going to be your comforter. How does one who draws alongside us to comfort us look like? Well, surely he's one who bears the fruit of patience, kindness, is after our good, is faithful, is gentle, that's what the Holy Spirit's wanting is to come and work within us. Then finally, John 7, 38, that Jesus says, actually, the Spirit is one who has come to satisfy every appetite. It's come in order that we would never, ever thirst again. Thirst is that word that's used to describe the desperation that we can get to for want of satisfaction. You see, you can live for a long time without food, but you cannot live long without water. Thirst is the most dire desperation. And Jesus uses that, understanding that. He says, actually, do you all know what it is to be ultimately desperate and find ultimate satisfaction? Well, it's, it's found in the Spirit, working within you. It's Him who comes and produces fruit that you'd know that you would always be satisfied. In order that what? There would be birthed in you that fruit of self-control that understands that every and any appetite that you have will be satisfied in Jesus. But you see, we can get to these points and think, well, okay, I can understand that we've been looking at this fruit of the Spirit and the Spirit is wanting to work within me and is causing me to desire to experience and enjoy all that God is wanting to do. But, but is that just for some or is that for everyone? Is it that you somehow get this lie that says there's, there's those that seem to be kind of the, the happy, clappy believers of Jesus and then there's the rest of us? I know God's desire was always that the Holy Spirit would be working within everyone. The Holy Spirit would be evidence within everyone. The Holy Spirit would be experienced by everyone. You find in the Old Testament that, that actually the Holy Spirit comes on specific people at specific times for specific purposes. But that was never God's limitation. It was never that God's design was that was meant to be how it's going to be. 
So you find that these moments of promise come out throughout the Bible. We've not got time today to look at lots of it because I want to get to more of a point of experiencing. But you get to these points like in Ezekiel 36, 27, where the prophet speaks about a promise that God is making. And says this, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See, what God's saying there is, I want to come and dwell within you. Not as some abstract concept, but as myself, as God, as spirit within you. In order that you would no longer kind of live a life that's conforming to some outward regulations, continually saying, actually, I'm going to try and live a better life by conforming outwardly. But rather, God said, I'm going to come and live within you in order that I'd inwardly transform you. In order that the very core of your motivations, your, the very core of your being, would be motivated by my Holy Spirit. That you'd know that you've got a whole new nature. It's no longer you just trying to make the best of it. It's actually understanding that God is working within you in order that you'd be totally transformed. As I said, we've not got lots of time, so we can't look at loads. So we've got these Old Testament prophets, promises. We then get through to the New Testament with Jesus on the scene. Where Jesus, in moments, just takes many, many, we're only going to look at one, but takes many moments to promise what is to come of the Holy Spirit coming to live within us. And he gets this moment in John 14, 15 to 17, where he just says this, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you'll know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. He dwells with you and will be in you. See, Jesus looks forward to this promise of what is to come out of the life that he's able to offer through his life, death, and resurrection. And says, actually, that there's going to be this whole new life that you get to receive through putting your trust in me that actually is going to be better for me to go in order that you'd be able to experience it. Because I'm going to, come and, I'm going to send one who is the Holy Spirit, who's going to come and be with you. Like literally, as Jesus was physically present with his friends, he says, the Holy Spirit's going to be coming present with you. But it isn't just that the Holy Spirit is going to be present with you. The Holy Spirit's going to be in you. And that's an amazing, amazing statement. And then he says, what? He says, oh, just before that, oh, yeah, the, the world won't understand this. This seems like nuts because they don't understand who the Holy Spirit is. But you do as you love me. You understand who the Holy Spirit is. That it isn't that actually you put your faith and trust in Jesus and then think, well, man, I'd better cling on and see if I can make this work. It's actually understanding that God then comes and is with us. That we're therefore never alone. Why? Because God, who is Holy Spirit, is physically present with you. Everywhere you go, everywhere I go, God is with us. But not only is God with us, just as if I was to accompany you, Anywhere you go, imagine what that would be like. It would be slightly irritating after a while. But literally, I was with you everywhere you went. You'd probably notice. <laughs> you'd probably live differently. For some of you, it would be irritating, but the Holy Spirit isn't, as, isn't irritating like me. I was going to say as, and he isn't. Uh, this, this. But it isn't just that the Holy Spirit, who is God, is with us like that all the time. It's also that the, the Holy Spirit, who is God, comes and lives within us. 
God who is perfect comes and resides in us. God who is that God who Mike spoke about at the very beginning, who used to dwell within the Holy of Holies, this curtained room where no one could go into it because it was a, a room that actually was too perfect for any human to go with the stains of their own thinking and, and actions that caused them to fall short of perfection. And so if they were to go in there, they'd just be ruined, be destruction for them. Apart from one guy, one day a year gets to go in there to represent everyone. And God kind of blows the whole thing out. Jesus says, actually, it's no longer going to be a little boxy room and the Spirit's going to come and dwell within you. God who is perfect is going to come and dwell within you. I don't know about you, when I hear that, it kind of causes my brain to just start double time spinning. I think, well, God's in me? And it it causes me to live with these two dynamics. One of this total, utter amazement that God, who is perfect, would come and dwell in someone like me. Feel with that sense of honor that God would be with me, that God would dwell within me. A sense of joy that God would dwell within me. A sense of just peace and love that God has dwelt within me, but also a sense of awe. I said, man, God, if you're perfect and you're dwelt within me, man, that changes everything. Changes everything about where I go, what I do, what I think, what I say. Because you're with me. And for some of us, to let that penny drop is probably the thing that causes our knees to shake the most. So we suddenly think, man, the Spirit is in me, and I did that. And here you're never going to get hit around the head as to how you live. Rather, what you're going to get continuously is revealed that God is with you. God is with you. God is in you. Therefore, let's live. And if God is in us, why would we do any of that? So Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And we're told that this to then be a lifestyle. A lifestyle of knowing the Spirit is with us. A lifestyle of knowing that the Spirit is in us. That we'd be to be characterized by the Spirit. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. See, what he's saying here, just briefly, is one isn't that drinking alcohol is wrong. For some people, we cannot drink alcohol because we just know it's got a hold on us. So for you, you just know you, you can't go that way. That's okay. So we don't, we don't go and say, oh, well, I'll just play around with this. No, no, we just avoid it. For others of us, it's to know that it, it, it isn't wrong to drink alcohol. It's just that we're not to get drunk. We're not to get out of control. We're not to allow it to overwhelm and control us. There's only one that we're allowed to do that with. Paul says it's the Spirit. We're to be those that are filled with the Spirit, that just as alcohol can overwhelm and control someone, actually the Spirit is to be one that we're, allowed, we're to allow to come and overwhelm and control us. Why? Because he seeks to do, put all those fruits that we've been looking at in our life. See that talk where Paul writes and says, you know, be filled with the Spirit. Actually, a better kind of translation of that, the grammar that he's used, using is actually go on being filled. It isn't kind of a one-off. It isn't that one day we say, oh yeah, I'm filled with the Spirit. Bang, let's go on with the rest of my life. It's actually that we continuously, momentarily, every day, allow the Spirit to fill us, to overwhelm us, to saturate us, to satisfy us. Man, you know what it is to be filled. Why? Because you all fill stuff at different points. I fill stuff all the time. I fill up the bath. 
When I fill up the bath, I promise you I fill up the bath. I fill it till it gets to the point that, you know, there's that overflow thing and the water's pouring through there and I think, man, this is probably immoral to be doing this. But I like filling it. And then my kids jump in and the water goes all over the place. Look at our kitchen ceiling to see the effects. But it's because it's filled. When you fill a balloon with air, you don't kind of go, that's it, done. Kind of fill it, just keep pumping at it. So it's going to blow. Now, hopefully it won't blow up because at that point the illustration's breaking. But we know (laughs) what it is to fill a container. So you get a cup and you think, I'm going to fill this. Man, if you're getting a Coke or a lemonade from a store where it's like you've paid for it and you get to fill it yourself, you don't kind of go, yeah, half a cup will do. Now you're thinking, I'm going to get my one pound ten. Man, I'm getting, I'm looking level at the cup at the top and filling it. Man, I'm not putting ice in there. I'm going to go back for ice, filling it to the top. Why? Because we know what it is to be filled. And Paul encourages, God says, be filled like this with what? The Spirit. And that isn't some kind of abstract concept. It isn't kind of a kind of thinking through, oh yes, be filled with the Spirit. No, it's an experience of being filled, being saturated, being overwhelmed by the Spirit. And we're told it isn't like a one-off event. It's that we continuously live like this. And the question is, do we? Do we live being overwhelmed, being satisfied, being saturated by the Spirit? There isn't like a quota and it. It isn't like, oh yes, 8 a.m. every morning. Yes, let's be filled with the Spirit. No, no, it's <laughs> just keep being filled. So that you just keep going throughout the day whenever you want to and say, oh, I just want to be filled by your Holy Spirit. Now, for some of us who are thinking, man, I'm feeling uncomfortable because I don't know if I have ever been. I don't know if I'd ever know if I've ever been so saturated by the Spirit. I can say, yeah, I know what it is. These fruits have just evidenced. It's no longer up here of knowing that, yeah, yeah, I can see from the Bible I'm loved, but actually experience it, understanding that, God, you've come and you've given me peace. It's at that point that it isn't that we're kind of some kind of second-grade Christianity. It's rather that we just get this moment of saying, you know what? I've never seen it. I just want to be filled. And the opportunity's there. The Spirit's already in you. What is it Jesus said? He said the Spirit wants to be in you in order what? They burst out like living water. Man, that's like a nuts image. Do you ever read something? That's kind of crazy. Like that there's a well within that's to burst out like streams. Like a mass amount of water. What's Jesus saying? He's saying that this isn't something to contain within you a kind of nice, fluffy feeling. Now, this is something that's going to come, and the Spirit's going to be within you in order that it would always work up out of you to transform those around you. Christianity is never selfish. It's always something that's going to be for the glory of God and the good of others. And in between the glory of God and the good of others, it does us the world of good. So we get to understand that there's this lifestyle we get to live in. But more than that, there's then the invitation, which gets us to the more exciting parts. See, Jesus gives this invitation in Luke 11, 11 to 14, where he says this, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, in other words, though you're flawed, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will you, Father in heaven, give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask. That's phenomenal. Jesus gives this example and says, man, 
let's not talk about the dads who are problems here. Let's just talk about all right dads. Dads that are still flawed. Dads like Adrian Hurst, like me. I've got three kids. I'm not perfect, I can tell you that. I don't think I'm that bad to them. They probably disagree sometimes. Um, but in it, I know I'm flawed. I know I still get motivated by self rather than them. I know I feel well short of what is perfect. But I tell you what, if any one of them come up to me and say, can I have a drink? I don't at that point go, yeah, I'll get you a drink. And then go into the cupboard and get a load of fairy liquid and like stuff it into the cup. I say, it's a bit of a syrupy one, so you'll need to drink it quick and it will take a while to come out. Actually have this straw and suck it up. Man, that's like warped. I wouldn't do that. I'd just go, you know, if I'm feeling pretty minimal, I'd just get him a glass of water. If I'm slightly more kind of wanting to bless them, I might get some nice juice, or I might even go to the shop and get him a smoothie. Man, I'm flawed, and I know what it is to do that. Basic. Or if one of them comes and says, do you want a sandwich? At that point, I don't go out and think, yeah, I'll get you something, and I get a couple of bread, pieces of bread, and then I go out to the garden, I think, yeah, let's get a worm. A worm in there, because there's no scorpions. A worm, I don't know, a bit of mud. Let's put that. Some grass. Oh, that'll give you something to eat. Here you go. Close your eyes. It's a daddy special. Man, I wouldn't do that. Now, some of you are thinking, man, I could do that tonight. It's not for me. <laughs> Let's do blindfold eating, you'll say. I wouldn't do that, and I'm flawed. Bare minimum, just get a slice of cheese in between bread. They're just going to have something. Bare minimum, a bit of bread. <laughs> and I'm flawed, and I wouldn't be like that. And Jesus says, now look at Adrian. He's flawed, and he'd do that. What about a father who is perfect? Who hasn't got any self-motivation apart from to do our good? And in, out of his desire for our best, we come to him. What about a father who loves to do his best for us? How's he going to respond? He's going to respond by just giving whatever we ask. And what does Jesus say? He says, where does this apply? It applies to the Holy Spirit. That if you ask the father to be filled by the Spirit, his only ever answer will be yes. Man, isn't it more complicated? Isn't it that women are kind of get to this point theologically of saying, oh, I've, I've wrestled it through the Old Testament, wrestled it through the New Testament, and then I've got to this point thinking, I get it now. No, no. It gets as simple as that. A God who is Father, Son, and Spirit, who we get to approach a God who is Father, who loves to give us perfect things, who loves to do us good, and simply ask, Father, would you fill me with your spirit? And he says, yes. And so the question is, will we ask? I can't answer that for you, only you can. Will you ask? For some of us, we're at that point of saying, well, for me to ask is to actually say, Jesus, I need to know more of you. I need to investigate who you are more because I see this life and I really want it, but I don't know if I've put my trust in you yet. And for us, we just need to ask God, would you reveal more of yourself to me? For others of us, for many of us in this room, it's that moment of saying, would I be prepared to ask? 
to ask trusting this God who I've trusted in already. In Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and saying, God, I come, and I, I say, God, I want to be filled with your spirit. Why? Because I want to experience all these fruits I've been looking at, all these fruits that I've been examining, saying I want to see more in my life. I just want to experience them more. And in it, we then say, actually, I want to ask God. I want to be one who continuously lives this way. So then I want to live Holy Spirit, being filled by you, in order that I'd bear more of your fruit that will do me good and do others good. And for some of us, the biggest thing we'll do out of today is to say, do you know what? I'm not going to live walking upstairs anymore. I'm going to live taking the escalator, understanding that this is all about moment by moment moments. I'm just saying, Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Now, for some of you, you think, well, how does that happen? Well, it happens just how we do anything. And if I was to come and fill a cup of juice for you, you'd hold your cup out and you'd allow me to fill it. So when it comes to our lives and we say, God, would you come and fill me? What we do and what you'd see us ha- kind of see happen here is you see people say, well, okay, I'm going to close my eyes. Not because suddenly it's like some spiritual moment. It's rather just a way of getting distracted, not getting distracted by other people. And in that moment, if we close my eyes, I'm going to put my hands out, just saying, God, I'm open to you. Isn't that suddenly we become some sort of kind of container physically? Doesn't suddenly come wacko, you know, I've now got my antennae out. God couldn't see me until that point. Now he can, now he can finally see me because my hands are up. And that's like totally nuts. Um, and it's rather just saying, God, I'm open to you. I, the most vulnerable place I can be is when I do this. And if I stand before you and put my arms out, you kind of know, embarrassingly, that means I probably want to give you a hug. Now, most of you know I'm not that way inclined, so it probably isn't going to happen. But if I do that, and I do that, I've set myself out vulnerably before you. I've said I'm open. And you can respond however you want to that. I've done that. I, I've, let, I've, I've done it. I've got the point of most vulnerability is just standing out there. And if you like, when we put our hands out, it's just doing that. It's saying, God, I'm being the most vulnerable I can be at this point. I'm just saying I'm open to what you've got for me. I'm saying I want to be filled by you. Therefore, I put my hands out to you. Now, in it, if you want to say, well, is it just simply that? Well, yeah, there's a biblical basis as well. We put our hands out because actually it's only people who've got pure hands who can raise their hands to Jesus. And it's only because of Jesus that we have pure hands. And it's worth saying, God, I know that, Holy Spirit, you want to come and dwell within me because you've made me right. But we're able to then do it and say, God, would you come and fill me? Then what happens? What happens then is that God will come and evidence all of those fruits that we've seen. And we just allow him to do that. And it isn't that we then think, well, is this it? Is this it? So you can find in your back of your mind, is this it? Is this it? And that you just allow God to come and meet with you. And because God's made all of us different, it is never with God a one badge fits all thing. So it isn't that like we suddenly say, all right, so when God seems to meet with that person, it looks like this, therefore it's got to look like that for me. No, God knows how you're wired. God wired you that way, and so he's going to come and meet with you how he desires to meet with you. What I promise is, is that God is a father who, when you ask, always says yes. So what we're going to do now is something that will feel a little bit out there because you suddenly feel this is risky because it's all about where we want to get to in terms of asking. Are we going to say yes or are we going to say not yet? And so what I'm going to ask you to do is stand up uh, from your chairs. The first couple of rows of chairs, we're just going to clear away. And so 
uh, that point at the front, just the front two rows. Uh, if we could clear those chairs away, that'd be really helpful. And the band are just going to come back. And what we're going to do is we're just going to sing one song. I'm going to sing one song, not because it's some sort of special formula, but because it allows us that moment to digest what we've heard and to come back to God. And to allow in that moment of just coming back, because as we sing, it's, it's allowing our hearts to speak and say, God, this is what I know of you. And this is why I come to you. And after we've done that, what's going to happen is then I'll come back and, and then basically I'll pray. And when I pray, I'm going to then ask a question at the end and say, do you want to come and ask? At that point, I'm going to say, if you want to come and ask, just because it will allow us to have a bit of space, is I'm going to ask you to do a brave thing and to come forward. And then you coming forward, it appears as though you're saying, God, I'm asking. And in you coming forward, you'll then be met with some other people who pray for you because this isn't something we just have to do by ourselves. It's saying that we can do with others. Just so you know, there's always a gap, which means that everyone feels a bit uncomfortable. Don't worry about that. You can still come in. If you want to find a seat elsewhere, do that. But we don't have to worry about space. But in this moment, can, can we just now focus just on God? And the band are just going to play.
Let's just, um, just where we are, let's just close our eyes. Just want us in this moment of, for many of us where we're followers of Jesus, just saying actually, we've just sung and said, God, out in everything we are, we just want it to be a blessing of your name. We want our lives to be evidence of just your goodness. We want our lives to just be continuously pointing to you. And in it, that isn't therefore a a call to working hard in our own efforts. But rather as a call to understand that the Spirit is wanting to live within us to give us everything we need to reveal everything about God. And just recognize that for some of us today, we just know what it is that we've come and we're dry and we're thirsty. And we just recognize that we've got into the, the whole trap of just working hard. And today is the day where we just need to come and say, God, I, I know this way doesn't work and I just want to be satisfied by you. I want to be filled with you, Holy Spirit. For others of us, it's that that we've come and at the moment our hearts like double, like beating twice as fast because we just, we just feel like, man, I feel vulnerable. I kind of know that I want this, but I also feel vulnerable. What if I ask and nothing happens? And for us, I just want to remind us that God is a God who, when we ask, loves to answer and loves to give us his Holy Spirit. And this one, I particularly want to appeal to those two groups of people. I want to ask you, I know we don't normally do it in this fashion, but I want to ask you, why don't you just come now to the front? The band are going to keep playing just not as an emotive thing, but actually because the Bible is just packed full of just musicians as a play in order that God's presence is here. Read the whole of the story of David, read the Psalms and you just see it. But at this moment, I just want to ask you, if you'd like to ask to be filled with the Spirit, maybe it's for that first time, maybe it's just you know that, that you've been filled before, but you know it's just been dry. I just want to ask you now, just come forward. So you'll get up from your seat, you'll move past other people. They'll be okay with it, even though the roads are tight. You think, will anyone notice? Will they barge me? It doesn't matter. Honestly, it really doesn't matter. No one will notice. Just come forward. As soon as some come, you find others. And then don't step in the back. Fill out this big gap here. So keep coming. And at this point, the rest of us who haven't come forward, it isn't that we then become passengers at this point in time and say, let's just watch. Actually, I'm going to encourage some of you to come forward and help with the team here to pray for different individuals. For us of you, I just encourage you where you're at. Why don't you just keep focused on God and saying, God, I, I want to know more of you. If there's some of you, you might want to actually leave though. You might think, oh, I've got to go. That's fine. You can go. You have to be locked away in this room. But for those of you who've come forward, 
I just want to ask, do you, can you just close your eyes where you're at? Just with your eyes closed, just put your hands out like I talked about, not as a way of saying, notice me, God, but rather just say, God, I'm open to you. That's all you're doing, closing your eyes saying, God, I'm open to you. And here's the deal, when you say that, and you now say, I want you to repeat after me, just say, God, I ask, Father, would you fill me with your spirit? Simple as that. And the Father comes now and sends his Holy Spirit to fill you. To fill you in order that you'd know you're loved. To fill you in order that you'd know his joy. To fill you in order that you'd know peace in your life, wholeness in your circumstances now. To fill you knowing that he's one who comes in patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and will be faithful. One who comes to satisfy. For some of you, you need to know that the Holy Spirit isn't coming to come in a way that's going to be breaking you. That's going to overwhelm in a wrong way. That comes in gentleness. So God, I ask now, come by your Spirit. Come now and just meet with every individual as only you truly can. Come and satisfy that deepest longing. Come and allow them to know their love beyond any love they could have ever imagined. That allows them to know, God, that they approach you saying, Abba, Father, because they know you love them like that. That you come, Holy Spirit, to bring peace. I pray, come and do it now. Can I encourage you if you're a small